What I'll ask you to think about is really what I've been wrestling with in some of my own thought leadership and in my own practice, which is how to have artificial intelligence be a companion to our work. And, you know, if you think about an, the idea of a companion, well, at times we are hand in hand with a companion. At other times we might be leading that companion or there might be points where that companion has the insight and we are being led by the hand. Welcome to The Change Lead, the podcast providing leaders with the insight needed to get things done in a rapidly changing and complex world. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Connect with our community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. Welcome to The Change Lead with your host, Babatope Ipiyumi. Technical skills may get you the job, but soft skills can make or break you as a leader. We can even go as far as saying soft skills are really the hard skills. This is particularly true when leading and navigating change. So here's a question. How can we apply soft skills to become successful at leadership and change? To discuss this with me is Diana Kowalski. Diana is the president of the Soft Skills Group. She's a senior training and development professional with over 20 years of experience in delivery, design, and consulting with Fortune 500 companies, universities and colleges in Canada, America, Europe, and in Asia. She's also the author of two books, Soft Skills Volume 1 and The Soft Seas. In this episode, Diana and I have a conversation about soft skills for leadership and change. Stay tuned. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Hi, Diana. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Babs. I'm delighted to be here. Perfect. So today we'll be talking about soft skills and applying soft skills to leadership and change. I think it's a pretty important topic. So if, if I look at what I do, and I think you probably have similar background as well, I work with a lot of leaders and change practitioners, people who have to deal with change. And sometimes, in some cases, they are seasoned. Sometimes they're new. Um, but in all cases, there are certain things that make people stand out. Um, and I think, and I'd like to get your, which is why we're having this conversation, I'd like to get your take on this as well. I think soft skills makes a huge difference when it comes to leading, when it comes to managing change, regardless of experience level. So we're good to get start there, get your take. So why do you, why are soft skills important to leadership and change and what, what's going on there? I, I like that you started out with something easy. Uh, I, <laughs> so if I may, I'm going to separate out leadership and change and speak to those two okay. areas separately. The first, in terms of leadership, so I'm often in a position where I'm asked to distinguish or to define, perhaps even redefine soft skills versus technical or hard skills. And you'd be surprised at how regional a divide that that is on the planet around what we assume to be soft skills or whether or not that term is even used versus professional skills or interpersonal skills, for example, which can often be swapped out as well. 
So I, I bring that somewhat of attention to our attentions because when it comes to leadership, you'd be amazed at how many of us have leadership opportunities that are given or that are earned and that we have the acumen, we have the wherewithal, we have the technical skills to be functioning at that leadership level, whatever the job title may be. And at the same time, we might be remarkably under-sophisticated at managing, influencing, persuading, coaching, or dare I even go to mentoring people. So that's the first side of this, is to recognize that If anything, I like to synthesize soft skills and leadership with saying that soft skills are how a leader can go about doing the what of what it is that they are doing in their team, in their department, in their industry. And if a leader can separate out how from the what, well, there's a lot of reactivity, permeability, and Babs, there's style in how. (laughs) And if we lean towards how to further understand that, then leadership can only complement the what of what it is that we do, whether we are uh, a leader in finance or in manufacturing or in education or in any industry. And I I mentioned those because that's where I've been spending my time in most of 2023 right now. So they're at top of mind. So that's that's the how-what divide, I would say, where soft skills fit in very quickly for leadership. And then when it comes to change, and I hesitate with a bit of drama there and perhaps a sigh (laughs) because I'm not sure that we really know what change is. And I've been on a bit of a journey in the last 18 months or so trying to distinguish between change and transition and maybe even looking at transition as it is classically defined as a phase of change, right? The current state, transition, and future state. So when it comes to change, I like to focus on that transition phase which to my mind, I think of it as a bridge and a bridge from current state to future state. And sometimes that bridge, Babs, that bridge is made with reinforced alloy, titanium, rebar, concrete, and and I'm not in the construction industry, but it's strong. I mean, it's a beautiful bridge and it will take us safely, securely, and sustainably from current state over to future state of a change. And then other times, I know I've been on bridges that have been put together by hope and spit and twigs and perhaps maybe some good intentions, (laughs) but certainly not fortified nor uh, particularly reliable. And it's that bridge where the human side of change, the transition, the, again, the how of how we do change can be remarkably under understood and equally under underappreciated as the vehicles by which we live a change. So, for example, policy changes happen in response to 
legislative changes, response to resource changes, a response to leadership changes, and a change in policy has a way of trickling down into an organization. Yet in order for that change to be a lived vibrancy that has impact, whether it's on the revenue bottom dollar, on revenue uh, streams, on value streams, on the client relationships, it needs to bubble back up. And that's everyone on the bridge. And if you're white knuckling your hold on a vine or on hope and not on a secure, sustainable transition phase, well, that's where soft skills can really come in to bring everyone into the fold. Yeah, I think I like the, the analogy you used there of a bridge. Um, mm-hmm. It's super relatable, particularly that it's, and it's, it's a good way to explain change, actually, because it's, some people may think change is only a strong bridge, not realizing in some cases you do have the bridges, like you said, held together by hope and by materials that, that you, you might be really scared to go on that. Um, so that, that's quite quite interesting. It's a quite interesting analogy, and it just shows that there is the human side. I like the way you explained the fact it's the human side of change. Um, at the end of the day, we we are people. Um, you can have the best intention in the world, but you need people to to move along. Um, something that's quite topical now, and sometimes when when things are topical, it can be dangerous to talk about them because it's very easy to just get carried away by the by the fads. But it is, I think it is important at least to, to delve into it, is um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, it's something that it's super, super topical. Um, some people are super excited about it. Some people are very apprehensive about it. So it's another example of change. It's in some organizations, people are looking at that and they have really well-defined strategies to address that. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it's a buzzword that everybody just puts to a title and just tries to run with it. it, goes back to the kind of bridge you're referring to. It is possible, just the way the internet became, was an emergent and then pervasive, it is very possible over the next couple of years that artificial intelligence machine learning becomes pervasive as well. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to look at the technical side of that. I would like to it'd be good to get your take, and I think like I like the way you started. Good to get your take on how soft skills, what role soft skills will play in in a world that could become dominated by mm-hmm. artificial intelligence, by machines talking to machines. Right. So I haven't had my order from Amazon arrive. I did order a fully functional crystal ball. Um, and so I, when I, <laughs> when I have that order <laughs> on my doorstep, I perhaps will have another recording. Um, so not being a futurist, and I appreciate the caution with which you've asked this question, that there is a lot unknown while at the same time there's buzz and, you know, there's certain merits for a topic to be on trend. And I, and I appreciate that. However, treading lightly, there's a a great deal that's unknown right now, in addition to what I can say with certainty and what is known, and that is, as an example of change, to tie us back to your original question, there's certainly many changes and some transitioning, certainly that AI is going to be requiring a lot of us to consider or AI is going to be imposing 
upon many of us, regardless of industry. You're absolutely right. From a soft skills perspective and what I'll focus on as the human side, there's a great deal of potential value in working in tandem with machine learning and with artificial intelligence, even if your exclusive reference right now is is chat GPT only, as, and it is only one of, I don't even know the number or if there is a number as to what's being worked on or, or patented certainly right now. So what I'll ask you to think about is really what I've been wrestling with in some of my own thought leadership and in my own practice, which is how to have artificial intelligence be a companion to our work. And, you know, if you think about the idea of a companion, well, at times we are hand in hand with a companion. At other times we might be leading that companion Or there might be points where that companion has the insight and we are being led by the hand. And while none of those three are static ways of interacting with artificial intelligence, I'm pretty sure that without that crystal ball, it's those three different modes, if you will, that are available right now that for some of us, we're feeling some vulnerability in terms of the skills that we bring in comparison to the potential of, of machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. I, I have been giving some of my clients a bit of solace, and I hope a lot of solace for some, because the idea of prompt engineering is immediately what comes to mind when I am asked about AI and ChatGPT in particular. And with full uh, comfort, I can tell you, I, I do use it. I am trying to see where it can be a companion in some of the work that I do. And um, I'm interested to be as flexible as I can with that. However, that's not a necessary recommendation for everyone. There's a lot of choice here. However, in my own dabbling, the idea of prompt engineering and suddenly there's this trend as well about people recognizing the value of questions and the value of a well-worded, specific, thoughtful, context-driven question in order to solicit the information that one seeks or to prompt, as, as the prompt engineering suggests, to bring the thinking or to bring the artificial intelligence and the thinking into the particular framework that you are asking it to adjust to. And this is actually not a new skill set. And I would say to you, the the solace that I've been offering some of my clients is the same skill set that one has used, for example, in attending an appointment with one's healthcare provider or physician, or the same skill set one has used if they're interacting with an insurer at, after perhaps a, an incident of some sort and, and or a, a natural disaster, what we need to do, know is what are the questions that you're preparing so that you can ask that insurer to be of the best service to you? I'm not an insurance expert. <laughs> what are the best questions I can ask for my healthcare provider to know how to diagnose or to bring the conversation to where there might be the, the most connection to their skill set to be of greater service to me. 
So for a long time, I've been a big proponent of the value of questions and conversations rather than having all of the answers. And so to my thinking right now, this relationship with artificial intelligence, if only as a lovely, convenient byproduct, might actually make us better at our conversations and at soliciting each other's expertise, so much so that we might be conversation engineering, if I may, in addition to prompt engineering uh, in the future. So that's a very interesting way of, it's a very unique way. I've not heard that before. So brilliant. Um, I like the way you used AI as a, com uh, as a companion, um, in mm. some cases where you're, you're leading a companion, you're walking alongside a companion, or you're letting a companion lead. It's a very good analogy. It's easy to understand, and it's very true. And it probably will allay some of the fears people have with artificial intelligence as well. When you think about it in that context, it's not a, a one thing. It is more than one thing, different context to it as well. And the, the value of questions, which is a very human value, the ability to you know, think about the other, because a question means you're being vulnerable. You're asking the question, like right. you don't know how the answer. Um, but if you need service, I, I like the examples you give, you need a service. You, you need to ask a question in a way that people understand what you're trying to get. But mm -hmm. you also need to ask a question in the language of the person who's going to serve you. So that, that is, so it's, it's quite brilliant. So soft skills actually are central to mm -hmm. being companions with the emerging technology of the day. She was quite interesting. So that was a brilliant. Well, song. you've summarized that very, very well. Thanks, thanks for doing that. And to, to add on, part of the hesitance, and it's a very real one, I know I feel it as well, is that in crafting questions, well, we clearly do not know that which we do not know. So questions can be choppy and at times quite ugly. As I said, I'm, I'm not an insurance professional. I'm not a medical practitioner. So I might be asking the questions that are coming around eventually to what it is that I'm actually seeking information, but I may not even know where I'm headed. And that's where questions actually amplify the knowledge in those examples of the insurer or the healthcare provider, because they've both been taught to varying degrees of formality of how to diagnostically be putting together information. And if you're a change management professional, I'm sure you're having the same sort of diagnostic approach. You're hearing, all right, this resource is evolving, or this is discontinuing, or this has been renewed, or and you're piecing that together. So it's really the other side of a skill set that many of us already have in our areas of expertise, but it's now flexing to recognize that the vehicle are the questions themselves. Indeed, indeed. Interesting. Um, you mentioned some of the types of companies you're working with, your clients. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious about what trends do you notice when so they're bringing you in your soft skills specialist? What trends do you see with companies generally when they're coming to improve their ability to you know, soft skills, getting trying to get better having soft skills in the organization? So I'm going to make an um, an immediate assumption around the question in terms of trends as 
I have been in the industry for a couple of decades and some of the larger trends, I don't know if they're as revealing as some of the more immediate ones. So what I will say is that being in 2023 and in what I can comfortably say is a a post-pandemic but COVID era at the same time, and I'm still grappling with that language. So Babs, if you have some language to help me describe the world we live in, I'm very interested in that in a moment. Nonetheless, in these current times, a lot of the clients, many of the clients that in the last 18 to 36 months that have been coming forward have had two major changes that have both been trends. The first is an appreciation for some of the learning of soft skills, needing to recognize that it is unlike technical or hard skills at large, that soft skills are generally not a flipping of a switch. And one cannot say, I've spent 10 minutes discussing active listening, therefore I am now an active listener and we shall never speak of it again. (laughs) Or I'll put a small digital badge on my LinkedIn and therefore it shall never have any of our attention whatsoever again. That is not how all of the focus on how we do things work. So that first trend has been in a new openness around whether I'm spending one day or or multiple sessions with a group at being open to tying back and checking in and seeing how groups have applied the learning and the strategies, whether as a whole group or as even brief one-on-one coaching relationships so that people have an opportunity to reflect in a psychologically safe conversation and to genuinely internalize what can be offered as best practices. Because as I mentioned a while ago in our time, some of this is style. And so we can look at how to present oneself, for example, or how to engage with a camera but how one person does it versus the next, it's not supposed to look a smell and feel exactly the same. We're remarkably reticent around copycatism, even though it's supposed to be the highest form of flattery. So that's the first, is recognizing that there needs to be commitment around the process of soft skills, whether it's in uh, brief follow-ups or coaching relationships or tying back or providing exercises for people to think or both synchronous and asynchronous learning opportunities. That's that's new still, which is lovely. And then the next has been a trend in terms of topic. And it's not a trend that I speak of often because I'll be frank, I would appreciate if we could potentially move away from it. However, it's it's making itself known. And this is a trend where we are approached at the soft skills group to work in and around topics such as conflict, conflict management, conflict preempting, uh, difficult interpersonal relationships, and all of that thematically in that same bucket of a trend. And what I'll tell you is that what's actually happening is often not conflict. 
which is part of the the tension that I feel with this with this trend. Um, what's actually happening is that people are not effectively defining how to communicate so that there's opportunities of misstep and miscommunication and um, unnegotiated turnaround times and misinterpretation and multiple technologies. And if we're geographically dispersed or if we're remote first, we have even less access to each other and so on and so on and so on. Those are all communication challenges, all of which can be addressed. And dare I say, I honestly have seen most of which can even be solved at a team or interpersonal level well before, if ever, on the route to actual conflict. And so this misdiagnosis where I have clients approach and say, we have a conflict problem. We have interpersonal problems. They are just not getting along. Conflict suddenly is everything, including the kitchen sink. And that's a newer trend. And once I illuminate for clients that we might be a bit predictive, that, that conflict is, a, is potential, of course, and possible, but that it's way further down the runway than all of the skills that we can work on that most likely will preempt our journey towards that conflict. There's very few clients where um, conflict has been the topic. And even when it is, it tends to not be a soft skill, to be frank. It tends to evolve into uh, human resources or unionized environment or a legislative piece, which is well beyond the how. That's the what again. So those are the two trends. Interesting trends, as in the the misdiagnosis of conflict is something I can relate to quite a lot. Mm. I mean, as a change practitioner, that's almost the first thing is you're getting lots of teams to get together, stakeholders. When you have a large program, it's typically something's gone wrong, or there's an opportunity, there's a threat, and that's been addressed. So communication becomes really key. Super important how you communicate, tone. Sometimes you need to put the effort up front so that everybody can mm -hmm. communicate in the same language. Don't react to negative communication because people right. are misunderstanding things. So I think I 100 percent agree with that. Um, the the um, the fact that soft skills is not a flick of a switch is is very interesting because you you're absolutely right. I don't get to do that a lot when I think about it because that's more. If organizations need that, that means they probably need mentoring programs or something of the sort embedded within the organization. And that's what it's alluding to. And I don't see organizations doing that um, beyond bringing people. And if they're bringing in somebody else, mm -hmm. yes, they can direct you, but you need to take that on and establish and build a system in-house right. for it to really work. So it's an interesting trend. Um, that's, uh, if, I think at the start, you did ask how you describe the world, this post-COVID world. Yeah. So I'm not sure I have a better title. <laughs> I tend to go with rapidly changing complex world. Okay. Because I suspect there's always something coming up. There's always another thing at the rate of which things are changing right now. We seem to, as a global community, be going through a lot of transitions all at the same time. Like I heard someone say something once that the health impacts of COVID has probably distracted us from the real impacts of COVID. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and that made a lot of sense to me because yes. even the conflict you're referring to, I'm seeing that escalate because organizations are a lot more remote first, um, a lot more hybrid, even though hybrid means many things to many people. Um, so it's, there's so many opportunities for miscommunication. Mm -hmm. So, and a lot of that was accelerated through the period of COVID. And those are all coming across and technical skills can't deal with that. You need soft skills to deal with that level of complexity and change. Um, so it's an interesting trend. I hear you. I, and I appreciate your comments. There's, um, there's a lot to be said, you know, rapidly changing complex world is a, a great turn of phrase. There's many acronyms, you know, you, you're probably familiar with VUCA and WUCA and VUCA and all the other uh's that want to be out there. Um, I don't subscribe to any of those. I'm not trying to disparage any of them. However, there's so much to be said for the struggle in finding the language that it's in the struggle itself that these conversations can add great value, in my opinion, and why you do a podcast and why I do my own podcast. I, I, I appreciate the value of moving the conversation forward. I'm often reminded of the space between reaction and response or to react versus to respond. And when I'm asked to work in tandem with change or any change specialists who might be brought to work with an organization, I often will bring in that reaction versus responding idea because there is a, a space, maybe even overlap at times, but there is a space that suggests a thoughtlessness versus a thoughtfulness that suggests uh, a speed a difference of some sort, whether it's measured in, in nanoseconds or in days, it, it can change. But I, I sometimes like to step away from all of the language, even though I'm a big proponent of us struggling with it and reducing it to, is this a reaction or can we respond? And how do we go from perhaps less thoughtful, maybe versus thoughtless, to more thoughtful instead? And some of that harkens in terms of soft skills to empathy. Some of that is emotional intelligence. Some of that is recognizing that if you get it, whoever you are as my audience or as my listener or as my reader, that me focusing on you and your comprehension actually services me. <laughs> exactly. It's not an act of selflessness. And I have said this with incredible repetition over the course of my career that I'm not a proponent of selflessness. I, I recognize that we need to put our own oxygen masks on first to be of value to others. I, I get that. I'm a big proponent of it. Um, however, we tend to not embrace it too readily in recognizing that focusing on others, well, that's not the reaction because the reaction tends to be well, what about me? What is it going to do with me? What's in it for me? Right, that all of the ego-driven vanity that we have, whether we're responding to change or whether we're a leader, and those are strong cues, right? They're cues that we feel, that we think, and that we want to act on. That's the reacting part, right? Even down to that, you know, limbic system, that amygdala getting fired off, thinking, "Got to do something now." And while 
Certainly there are exceptions, uh, highly trained professional athletes who can react to stimuli after thousands of hours of practice. Most of us don't react very well. <laughs> the overwhelming majority of us. However, some of us, if not the overwhelming majority, can either learn to or already have the skills to learn to respond really well. And maybe that's where we can move away from some of the conflict. And I'm sure you see a lot of mislabeled incidents in change as conflict that simply are not. Does that resonate with you? It, 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 do, it does a lot. Um, so so it, it, it does a lot because every most initiatives, when, when they're quite large, you have multiple teams, multiple countries, multiple time zones different backgrounds, different organizational cultures, all coming together, trying to drive something forward. Um, sometimes even different operating models. Right. And so the first thing, what I tr the way I try to explain it is, how can you put the challenge in front of the team, not in between mm -hmm. the teams? So because if it's in between the teams, there is going to be a natural finger pointing of we've done our part, now you do yours. It's, if, once I see that language, I know there's something not quite right in the structure of how, so it's not even just the language, but how you structure the organization, how you, the, 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 the communication, how you structure mm -hmm. the team, how you set things up, how you mm -hmm. sequence things to happen. You know, so you need to sequence things in a way to ha happen in a way that the problem, the opportunity is in front of the entire group. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Everybody charts a path towards that. It can be very deliberate. I'll give a very specific example. So there's one initiative I'm running where I've got two development teams from two different organizations working on a single piece of work. So instead of getting the teams to call their, their names by their organizational names, because once you do that, it's a label, it's a try. Right. It's okay. We start the program and two weeks in, give yourself a name. The name has no link. You've made up a name. And then you use that newly created name to identify yourself. It takes away that label, and then the challenge becomes in front of you, not, so I, I, not, not in between you. I totally agree. It's, um, and it goes yeah. back to how do you stitch together communication mm -hmm. to avoid the natural, and it's a natural tendency. It's actually, it's a human trait because we've evolved that way to mm -hmm. protect ourselves. Self-preserve, absolutely, <laughs> exactly. yes. So it's not a bad thing, it's nope. human nature. So you say, but, so they say, if we're in this construct, you need to create a different kind of process optimizing the human tendency. Um, Absolutely. And, and I, I, I think we come to this from different starting points, but however, with similar conclusions. So you speak of being in front rather than in between. And I, I, like, I like that. I had not put it into those terms. I tend to, if it's a project or a, a potential disagreement or even the purpose of a, of a conversation, I tend to use triangulation instead. So if we think of there being three parties in a triangle, the, and even if in this fantastic conversation you and I are having, there's me, there's you, and then there's the podcast, right? And if we, you and I, are on the same side looking at the success of the podcast, well, I'm convinced that the podcast can only get better. 
it can only get better because we are already coordinated. So that's how I've framed that in front versus between. But I believe we're looking at it. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. I like it. Yes, absolutely. And then the other side that really resonated with me in, in what you said is, especially with some of my senior level clients where they're looking to increase their credibility, they're looking to have their potential even further acknowledged where they're seeking out even more authority. And that's where, you know, someone who's already at that level in an organization going from there to there can be a much larger leap than going from there to there. So in that space, I often will advise people around titles, labels, naming, narration, and if only for the sake of an example like this, as small as this is, there's no such thing as stuff. You don't do stuff. We don't, we don't do stuff. We attend a meeting to contribute to the Project X moving towards its deadline. You and I might know it was a less than wonderful meeting. <laughs> <laughs> you and I might know it was full of stuff. However, we need to title, label, to narrate so that we can have referential language, so that we can know where it is that we can refer if there is a timeline, which is very different than when you were working on that stuff, what was, what was that all about, right? Which I know change management in its classical sense is, is very much in favor of, right? Give it a name. <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't need to be a sexy name, but you got to give it an, give it all names. Does that make sense? It it, it, it does indeed. Um, I think I, I relate to that a lot. Um, I think I got one last question, more in closing. Um, sure. It would be good for our audience to know a little bit more about you. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so okay. good to tell us. So who who is Diana? What what are you doing? And I think importantly, how can people reach out to you as well? Absolutely. So, um, and thanks for that. That's that's nice. I, I don't often have a chance to speak about myself. So my name is Diana Korski. It's still Diana Korski. It has been for a long time. Um, and what I do is twofold, is that I run the Soft Skills Group, and we are an organization that provides soft skills training on the planet, whether it is virtual or in person. At synchronous or asynchronous on a variety of topics, some of which we've talked about already in our time together, Babs. In addition to that work, um, I have published a couple of books. I'm somewhat of a prolific writer online, working on my third book, although very much struggling, have to admit that. Um, and I also teach at a few universities that offer me a chance to dip a couple of toes in some of the academia so that the training that I do in industry can have some theoretical and some rather current thinking informing best practices, strategies, and techniques. And then the last piece of what I do is uh, with some affiliations that afford me the chance to work internationally. So I mentioned before we began recording, I've spent a lot of time this summer working in Asia and in the U.S. as well. And there's an enormous amount of value in teaching around soft skills in myself being as exposed and open to a variety of different ways of going about doing it because it's not 
necessarily the exact same way as it would be with some skills that can be just flicked on and flicked off. There's always some context, some style, and some nuances to all of that. Um, and then lastly, my own podcast is called The Soft Skills Salon, and it's uh, named such so that it is a bit of a throwback to the classic French salon culture where people had conversations and looked at moving topics forward culturally. And so um, that's why I'm here. My favorite color is green. That's the other piece, if, if you're interested. But that's who I am in a nutshell. <laughs> nice. no, thank, thank you. you you've, you've shared a lot. You've I think you made me wiser. You've made our audience a lot wiser. Um, I'll, I'll put the links to your LinkedIn and to your podcast in the show notes. So Thank if you, you want to hear more from Diana, I guess you can do that on, uh, just check the show notes. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. A real pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to my conversation with Diana. If you'd like to connect with Diana, you can find details in the show notes. If this episode was of value to you, please consider leaving a review wherever you get your podcast. Leaving a review is the absolute best way to support the podcast and ensure I continue to get great guests on the show. You can tune in on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Audible, the Change Lead website, and many, many more. To continue the conversation, please connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think about the show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day and see you next.